My wife and I voted recently in the Georgia United States Senate runoff election. We were standing in line with our friend, Joe, and we talked for the next 30 minutes until we made it to the voting booth. I was reminded of a couple of things. Number one, my friend Joe is no ordinary Joe, and you're about to find that out. And number two, he reminded me of an article I wrote in 2009 after their son was killed in an automobile accident. To provide context, I will begin by reading that article. Ryan Richardson didn't blur racial lines, he erased them. Those were the words of Jerry Walls, pastor of Southside Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia, as he eulogized 19-year-old Ryan Kimes Richardson today in one of the most impressive funeral services I've ever attended. And trust me, I have attended more than a few. I began to get impressed on Monday evening when my wife and I attended the visitation at the church. Okay, I was more than impressed. I was blown away. I was blown away because there was at least a two-hour wait in a line to get to Ryan's parents. I was blown away because so many teenagers stood in that two-hour line for the opportunity to hug the parents of their obviously beloved friend. I was blown away because I saw so many tears, and I was blown away because of the strength of Ryan's heartbroken parents. But I was also blown away because about 98% of the hundreds of folks who had gathered there were Caucasian. And Ryan happens to be an African-American. I couldn't help but wonder where the media was for this one. It seems we hear so much of racial tension and discord, especially in southern places like middle Georgia. I can tell you racial tension was conspicuously absent at the celebration of this young man's life. There was also not a dry eye among the 1,000 or so folks who were in attendance at the funeral service today. My friend and Pastor Jerry Walls did a masterful job mixing humor with the heaviness of the moment. Ryan lived life to the fullest, and he left many fun memories with all those who knew him and loved him. Jerry also did a masterful job reminding the throngs of teenagers in attendance who were leaning on his every word that none of us are promised our next breath. On Friday morning, Ryan's mom sent him to mail a package and to find a job. Ryan, in his usual jovial way, danced with his mom in the kitchen before he left. In a few hours, as our pastor so eloquently said today from the pulpit, Ryan was dancing before Jesus. Among other scriptures, the pastor quoted Proverbs 18:24. A man that has friends must show himself friendly. Ryan Kimes Richardson made a ton of friends in his short 19 years on earth. Everyone who attended the funeral service was humble today as we celebrated this incredible young man's life. Ryan's presence and the impact he had on all who knew him were evident to all. But racial lines were conspicuously absent. My guest today is Ryan's dad, and after listening to his story, I think you'll have a better understanding of why Ryan turned out the way he did, and why Ryan and his family have impacted and influenced so many. I'll just say it again, the dad, Joe Richardson, is not your ordinary Joe. 
born in the projects of Chicago as one of seven children, raised by a single mom with the help of other extended family in different cities and states. This Joe turned out very well. This Joe has an undergraduate degree in history from the United States Air Force Academy, two master's degrees, one in aeronautical science and another in counseling and human services, and a PhD in educational leadership, the three postgraduate degrees from three different institutions. He also completed the Harvard Graduate School Institute of Management and Leadership and is a certified project management professional with the Project Management Institute. And the list goes on. Oh, I almost forgot. This Joe retired from the United States Air Force as a lieutenant colonel with 26 and a half years of honorable service to our country, including 3,500 flying hours, including combat tours over the skies of Kosovo, Afghanistan, and Iraq. Joe also happened to be the fourth African-American in the history of the United States Air Force to be the number one ranking cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Most recently, this Joe served as Vice President of Student Affairs at Valencia College in Orlando, Florida, and was formerly the Executive Director of Veteran Support of the Vector Center in Warner Robins, and prior to that was a Division Manager, Technical Advisor, Program Manager at the Mercer University Engineering Research Center in Warner Robins. Dr. Joseph Richardson, who insists on me calling him Joe, has an amazing story. His progression and advancement in life did not come easy, and there were huge obstacles along the way. It is simply a God story, and you will quickly see that this very accomplished but humble human being gives credit to God at every turn. He talks freely about his faith, the love and respect he has for his beautiful and talented wife, Felicia, his dedication and love for his family, and his obvious love for our country. This not-so-ordinary Joe also is a man of wisdom and has real thoughts about how we can come together as a country by working together instead of against each other, and also strong advice for others trying to find success in life. After my conversation with him, I came away with one burning question. Why wasn't Joe Richardson running for Senate? After listening to this podcast, I have a feeling you will be asking the same question. Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. This is Bruce Goddard, and you're listening to the View from a Hearse podcast. Thank you again for joining uh, as you just heard, I've got a special guest on with me today, Joe Richardson. I met Joe probably 13 or 14 years ago, if not longer. We attended church together. I've traveled with him to Israel with a group. I've been around him uh, several times, and I've been impressed with him incredibly. And I think you're going to be impressed when you hear him. But the first time I really got to know him, and I knew his wife because she sang in church. She's a very gifted singer. This is a big church that we attended, by the way. And I'm at what, Joe, 2,000 people? Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so she was, she was on stage a lot, so I knew her. But when I really got to realize who they were is when their son, Ryan, who was, I think, 19 years old, this is in 2009. 
was killed in an automobile accident, and you just heard what I wrote uh, when that happened, when I went to that visitation and that funeral, and the the number of people that this young man had impacted, the fact that he was an African-American and we're in the South and I grew up in the South and I'm looking at, you know, a large majority of the people, if not 95 or 98 percent, were were Caucasian <laughs> that were supporting him. And the impact, he had, it was just an incredible experience. So, Joe, just talk about that whole thing. Tell me a little bit about what was going on in 2009. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and Bruce, thank you so much. And my wife and I are, are, are very, very grateful for, uh, the justice that you did to what you wrote about Ryan during that, that time. We thought it was magnificent, still think so today. Uh, I, I will also say that, and, and you don't know this, Bruce, but the, the, the actual day that we're doing uh, the recording uh, is actually the day before his 33rd birthday. And so so just the fact that we are talking about him and you're giving us an opportunity just to remember him um, just brings uh, oh, wow. a lot of joy uh, to us. And wow. so, wow. so absolutely. And so, so yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you know, oftentimes we, in our country, we talk about, you know, leadership and what leadership is and what is significance. And, uh, and really it's about influence. And that's one thing that I can say about Ryan is that he had enormous influence. Like you said, the receiving line uh, there at his, uh, at, at his funeral. I mean, it, it took about three hours for right. everyone to go through oh, and I remember. shut down. Oh yeah. And shut down the traffic uh, in the city. And, and, and this was a kid who, I mean, he wasn't the starting quarterback on the football team or anything like that, but he was a kid that had influence. And I think his influence came from the fact that he knew no strangers and he embraced uh, and integrated himself with everyone that he came in contact with. Grace and love flew, uh, flew through him. It, it, it actually went through him. And so he was just a really a powerful representation of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be inclusive and what it means to to just bring out the best in everybody around you. And so we remember him for that. Well, what, what I saw for sure was the influence that he had and how much how many people just loved him. Now, not only were people there, but all these kids were, were tears streaming down their eyes. And you, that had to be overwhelming for you and Felicia just to not going through the grief you were going through personally but seeing the impact it had to be it had to be one of god's greatest blessings right in the middle of the worst time of your life and, and god does that he often gives us gifts through the pain or gifts in the pain and one of the things that you know my wife and i made the decision you know that 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 we would allow what we call here in the south an altar call or an invitation to receive christ to be a part of the funeral and to my knowledge uh, there were upwards of someone of over somewhere of over 75 people that gave their life to christ at his funeral so even in his death even in his passing he became a, a huge influence uh, in the lives of others and there are people that are walking around today that 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 have accepted christ and received them into their life and doing the work of god that became a christian the day of his funeral. And there are also people, Joe, that are more inclusive of people that may not look like them or, or be may be some way different from them because of Ryan's example and what they saw saw in his life. 
he was so inclusive that he, he could care less what color people were. He just loved people because they were people, and they loved him back. And that, there's no telling the impact that had. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and one thing that a lot of people don't know about Ryan, this is one of the, one of the many things that I loved about him, that whenever he would encounter, you know, let's say uh, children especially, that had maybe some kind of developmental disorder or something like that, he was especially kind to them and especially keen to show them love and acceptance as well. And that's something that I just really, really admired about him. Um, he would give to those who couldn't give back to him. And I think that's just a hallmark of really what all of our lives should be about. What was the impact that from the, the people that came from, from different walks of life to be there for, for both of you and for the family and for Ryan, well, what, how did, what did that mean to you? It, it, was, it gave us just an overwhelming uh, sense of, of gratitude uh, to be a part of a community, you know, that would show that outpouring of love uh, toward, towards our family during, you know, a, a very difficult time uh, in our lives. You know, we made the decision, you know, when we first came to, to Warner Robins, I believe it was 1999, uh, we were here for maybe about five or six years and then, you know, we got sent to, uh, with the military, got sent to the Pentagon and then went out to Colorado for assignment. But we made the decision to come back here in 2006. That was an intentional decision. I'll tell you why we made that decision. Because we thought it would just be a wonderful place to raise our family right. and to raise our kids. And that was just a demonstration of the reason we chose to come back here to Warner Robins, just to see that outpouring of love and support. Oh my, that was that validated that you coming back right there that whole experience you had no idea that was going to happen absolutely just so everybody will know this family is very influential and i think you've heard the credentials that that joe who i'm talking to just retired from the military after 26 and a half years as lieutenant colonel phd all this stuff he is he's, he's all that but he's the most humble humble godly man you've ever met in your life we, we got the opportunity to go to israel together there was a group of us from our church and a few people from other churches there were what 40 or 50 of us or something man right, I, yeah, yeah and, and right, right. So, so we got to spend 10 days on that trip together joe that that's a that was a trip of a lifetime for me for sure i mean you're much more of a world traveler than i am stuff you've done but <laughs> that, that was an amazing trip yeah, it was. There were two things that I promised myself I would do, Bruce, when I finished my PhD from Mercy University. I said, one thing I want to definitely do is I want to do an Alaskan cruise. And I said, and the other thing I want to do is I want to take a, a trip to the Holy Lands. I want to take a trip to Israel. And shortly after I defended my dissertation, uh, my son and I actually went on an Alaskan cruise and it was just, we had the time of our lives. And it took a few years for uh, for the trip to Israel to come to fruition, uh, but it was definitely life-changing for me. It just allowed me to, um, to, to, to really look at the Bible in a whole different light in the context uh, of, of the area and the culture that it was written in. Uh, so much so, Bruce, that I continue to serve on the, uh, on the board of directors of Experience Israel now with Brother Andy Cook, the organization that we went with, and I continue to serve uh, with that group as well. I didn't realize that until I talked to you the other day. Who could be better to be on that on that board? I, that's the same thing happened to me. I, I I've never done this 
for the last year, Kathy and I read through the Bible with a Bible study alongside of it, and it did change my my whole mindset about the Bible after going over there and walking around in Israel. It 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 really does open your eyes as to what what the Bible is really about and what it means and and how it really happened. I can tell you that. I'll throw in a plug too for anybody that. Uh that is interested in, in having that knowledge and understanding, but can't necessarily go, uh, I would say just uh, plug in to any event uh, that Brother Andy Cook is doing with the Experience Israel Now organization, because you will get a chance to learn the lessons of the Bible. In fact, the whole purpose of the organization is to bring the Bible uh, and that experience of the Bible land to those who cannot go. And, and he does an incredible job with that. And I've been to not only I've been to Israel with him, but I've been to one of his events, and he's got multimedia technology. You fly into these places on the big screen. It's like you're there. <laughs> he, I actually had him as a guest on a previous episode on here, and, uh, oh, good. and and he talked about that some, but that's a great plug, and I, I tell you, I highly recommend that trip. So I know these people want to know about you too, Joe, and I want to just kind of let's back up and talk about – you growing up, you can't help but wonder, you, you've done well, you've just retired, although you're staying busy as consultants and on boards and, and doing other stuff. Tell me a little bit about your growing up. So I was born in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, I am one of, of, of seven kids, five boys and two girls. And uh, shortly, uh, when I was still really young, uh, my mom moved the family to Lima, Ohio, and that's really where I... I spent the majority of my time growing up as a kid there in Lima, Ohio. Uh, my parents divorced early on uh, in my life, so my mom essentially raised the seven kids by herself. Wow. And Bruce, she did this without a high school education. Now, she eventually got it later in life, and I was blessed to be a part of her journey uh, getting her high school diploma. But all the while we were kids, uh, she did that without a high school uh, education. I will say that our father, we entered our lives as we were teenagers, and and he lived up in Detroit, Michigan at the time and still lives there. In fact, my brothers and I just a few weeks ago just went up to visit him. Uh, he's in his 80s now. And so uh, he still lives up there in Detroit. So he re-entered our lives as teenagers. I love them both dearly. Uh, my mom, she passed away, went home to be with the Lord uh, back in 2018. She was in her late 60s. Uh, I, I was blessed that she was able to spend the last couple of years of her life actually living here with us. We actually moved her from Ohio to live with us that she was dealing with some medical issues and so she spent the last uh last couple of years of her life living here with us in warner robins wow. um and then my father like i said he's still with us he's in his 80s now and, and i have a stepmother and it was gloria she's a wonderful lady retired nurse and she does a wonderful job uh, caring for him but i'll say this bruce i mean they taught us uh the value of hard work and they really taught us the importance of extended family too because there were times uh, during our childhood where, you know, my mom would have to parcel us off to different relatives in order to help with the strain of, of, of raising seven oh, kids. Oh, I can't herself. imagine. Seven kids. Yes. My goodness. Yeah. 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 And there there was there was a there was a period of time where me and my brother Bobby we actually lived with our great grandmother uh, down in uh, in Fort Pierce, Florida. You know, I just remember my Aunt Millie, my Aunt Ruby. I mean we you know we we just had connections uh, with all different members of our family, and they were all a part of helping to uh, to raise her. So they really taught us that. Uh, so much so, Bruce, that some of my closest friends on the planet to this day 
um, are, are two of my brothers, my brother Bobby and Maurice. I talk to them just about every single day. And so I'm really glad that they gave us that love for family. Oh, my goodness. So how'd you get on your path for this hunger for education? I mean, you've got a BS degree, you've got two master's degrees, you've got a PhD, and you were one of seven kids raised essentially by a single mom, although your daddy came came back in your life. How did that come about? Yeah, that's a that's such a wonderful question because initially growing up, I, I'm, I'm what's considered a first-generation college student, which means that uh, in my mother and father's lineage, no one had ever gone to college and gotten a degree before I did. I was the first, first one uh, on either side to do that. And uh, my, my mom actually had a sister that went off and got to college, but as far as in, in that in that path line, I was the first one. And so, so high school education, Bruce, that was the creme de la creme. That was like the goal is finish high school. Make sure you finish high school. And I remember as I was nearing the end of completion of high school, I started realizing that there was something else going on that people were talking about going to college <laughs> and doing those things. And, and I remember my brother and I actually, and we're talking about the early 80s, we actually got in a car and we drove to Liberty. It was Liberty Bible College back in the day. It wasn't Liberty University. Right. And we actually drove there to meet with a basketball coach to see if there was any way that I could figure out a way that I could I could go there. And because of financial reasons, I wasn't able to do that. And so my brother Maurice, the one that I drove to Liberty with, he actually went into the United States Air Force first, and he was my inspiration to join the Air Force. And I remember that shortly thereafter, you know, I finished basic training. I went to school to become what's called a personnel specialist, and I was stationed up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Not uh, familiar. The, uh, Not familiar. Yes, yes, yeah. they call it the, the UP. Yep. Uh, the, the, yeah, and so uh, so I was I was stationed up there, and I had been going to Northern Michigan University. I had been working on a logistics management degree, and Bruce, I went to make copies on a copy machine one day, and someone had left a pamphlet on that copy machine. And the pamphlet talked about a place that I had never heard of before, <laughs> the United States Air Force Academy. And I picked up that pamphlet, mm. and in my ignorance, now you think about this, we all know now, you know, the Air Force Academy, you have to have some congressman or senator or someone like that give you uh, a nomination, and then you compete against the best and brightest in the country for an appointment. I get all that now. But at the time, I just thought the Air Force had a college that I could sign up for. Right. And so I sent in, I sent in my application work, signed up for the Air Forces College. Uh, they sent me a note saying, sorry, we can't accept you. Uh, and then they listed a whole bunch of different deficiencies that I had. And so I said, well, some of these I can't do anything about. I can't go back and change my high school GPA. I said, but maybe some of these I can. And so I started taking the SAT, ACT test over and over again, sent in a second package, got my second rejection letter. And what I did with that second rejection letter, Bruce, I was over some friends of mine's house and uh, still dear friends to this day, Chip and Julie were their name. And I was staying the night over there. And I remember I got down on my knees with that rejection letter in their, in their dining room. I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, they keep telling me no, but for whatever reason, I believe that you want me there. And the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, you turn it whatever way you want to. So what do you say? And through the course of events, my third time, they sent me a letter back, accepted me into the Air Force Academy Preparatory School. Most people don't know 
the service academies, West Point Naval Academy, Coast Guard Academy, they have preparatory schools where you can go there for one year to compete for an appointment. I got accepted into the preparatory school at the Air Force Academy, and that's where I competed for and secured my appointment to become a class, a member of the class of 90 from the Air Force Academy. Incredible. Incredible. So talk about your spiritual journey. So you were, as a young man, you were already following God's heart. So talk about how did that come about? Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things that I remember about my grandmother, uh, they were on my mother's side, so she actually had a, a little corner grocery store. And I remember we would, you know, we would go there and we would work there. And that was kind of part of that initial work ethic that they taught us. And um, and one of my uncles actually lived there with her. It was a grocery store, but then it was part of a house as well. And uh, my uncle Paul, and he began talking to me about the Bible and just, you know, he was an avid Bible reader, began sharing with me about the Bible, talking to me about the gospel. And I remember somewhere around the age of my, my 16th birthday, I remember going into to, to my closet and getting on my knees and asking Christ to come into my life, to forgive my sins, uh, to make me a Christian and committed my life to, to walking uh, with God. It, and, and I remember my Uncle Paul, he helped me to develop this thirst and hunger for the word of God that has really only increased over the years. And I, I got this thirst uh, for God's word. Um, you know, I was a little, honestly, man, the thirst was so strong that I didn't know whether or not my path was to go to like a Bible school, which is why I took that trip to Liberty Bible College. Right, right. I didn't know if that was the path God wanted for me or this strong desire to follow my brother who had inspired me to go into the Air Force. I didn't know which one was the way to go. And I'll just share with you a quick story of how God confirmed that. The day before I went to basic training, God had been just kind of speaking to my heart saying, hey, I want to use you. Um, you know, you're going to be in the ministry, but it may not be the traditional ministry that you used to. And so, you know, I started going down that path. It was the night before I went to basic training and they had us room up uh, with other folks who were going to basic training to br different branches of the military. So I roomed up with a guy who was going into the army and, and, and we spent that one night together. And that one night, God gave me the privilege and opportunity to lead that individual to Christ. We got down on our knees that night Incredible. before we went to bed and he accepted Christ into his heart. I don't remember his name. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I had no more contact with him after that. But that was just God confirming to me that, hey, you're actually where I want you to go. And I'm just going to use you in a different way than maybe everybody has been trying to, to tell you, uh, you know, to go this traditional path. Wow. So talk about your career. So you, you were, you got into the academy, you're already having these opportunities. You've got this spiritual hunger, and you had no idea of the, the military career you would have. Yeah, you know, and, and it has all been a spiritual journey. Um, and, and here's why I say that. Uh, when, when I went to the Air Force Academy, back, back during that time, in order to go to flight school, you pretty much had to have 20-20 vision. So I'm going to start off by saying that my vision was 2400 hmm. in both eyes. And so you say, well, how could a guy with 2400 vision uh, get into flight school and, and go into flight training? Well, during my time at the academy, and again, talking about the spiritual journey, I struggled because again, I, I didn't come from a, a, a high school environment where, um, you know, where, where it was known for its academics. And so even when I started my freshman year at the academy, 
because I went into the Air Force first, I had already been out of high school for four years. So even if I was a 4.0 student from the best high school in the country, four years oh, later, you can forget a lot of that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I struggled my first couple of years. And so uh, I faced disenrollment from the academy um, three times mm. uh, in my first three semesters there. And the third time they said, okay, we're going to keep you under three conditions. At the time I was the class vice president. They said, you can't do that anymore. Uh, they said you can't, uh, you know, at service academies, you have rank and position within the within the cadet body uh, that you have. They said you cannot hold any of those ranks or positions. And they said you cannot graduate with your major. I was a history major at the time. So two and a half years later, Bruce, um, through God's working through things, um, not only when I graduated, had I been I had been class vice president for all four years. I graduated with my major. And I was the fourth African-American in the history of the United States Air Force Academy to be the number one ranking cadet. And that's in my ranking position. That's not in my academic order, but that's in the ranking position that they give you there uh, within the organization to lead um, the cadet organization of 4,417 cadets. I was the fourth African-American in the history of the academy to hold that position. And because of that, wow. they asked me, what do you want to do when you go in the Air Force? And I said, well, I want to be a pilot. So they went out to the Air Force to a three-star general to see if they could get approval and a waiver for me to go to pilot training. The three-star general denied the waiver, but he said, I won't allow him to go to pilot training, but I will allow him to go to navigator training. And so that's how I was able to get uh, into flight school. But as you mentioned, um, you know, I flew surveillance and reconnaissance aircraft, command and control uh, aircraft, basically 707s. Think wide-body aircraft, big-body aircraft, 707s. Uh -huh. Uh, retired in, in 2009. Uh, from there, uh, I was able to actually work uh, at Mercer University in the Engineering Research Center. I did that for about seven, seven and a half years. Uh, I went from there to, to help start the first ever Veterans Education Career Transition Center. It's called the Vector Center uh, here in Warner Robins. It's the first of its kind in the country. And what they do is they help transitioning military members and their families to connect to higher education as well as to connect to employment. And then from there, I went on to uh, become uh, the vice president for student affairs at Valencia College, one of the largest state colleges in the uh, in the country. So that's a, in a synopsis, in a nutshell, the career path that I've taken up to this point. And now I'm excited uh, that God is leading me into a different path to do some consulting work. Folks, you're listening to Joe Richardson, retired Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Dr. Joe Richardson talk a little bit about his career. We're about to talk about uh, some of his thoughts of what's going on in this great country of ours. And uh, this is a man of great wisdom. He's a godly man, as you can tell. He's a man of great influence. I'm just glad to have him on. So Joe, again, thank you for, for joining us here. Absolutely. How old were you, Joe, when, when you were dealing with that with the academy and trying to you get in turned down and turned down and all that how, how old were you then yeah so um at the time i entered the academy i was uh you cannot at the time you could not have been past your 21st birthday when you start your freshman year so all of this was all occurring uh before i turned 21 i turned 21 october uh of my freshman year so essentially the path that i started to be able to go uh, to the academy. I was 19, uh, 18, 19 when I started that path. I entered the Air Force when I came in. I was an 18-year-old. 
Right. And so when you were talking about your career, you really didn't talk about your move to you moved up in rank to to lieutenant colonel. That just didn't happen right. by the snap of your fingers either, right? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. And yeah. so uh, we we experienced uh, you know many many assignments. I was uh, like I said when I graduated from from flight school from navigator training, I went to Omaha, Nebraska, and um, flew an airplane. If you want to Google and look it up later, it's called the EC one thirty five. It's uh, they, they used to call it the the looking glass, and that's because it's an aircraft that actually mirrored our ground based missile launch facility. So if the Soviets would ever destroy our ability to launch ICBMs or intercontinental ballistic missiles, we actually had an airplane that the country flew for 30 straight years around the clock that had the capability to do that. Wow. And so I flew that. And the coolest thing about that assignment though, Bruce, was not the airplane, as cool as it was, but that's where I met my bride. That's where my wife Felicia is from. So, so she's an Omaha native. So that's where I wanted to get to. Uh, talk about Felicia. <laughs> yes, you, have yeah. a, you have a very gifted wife. Listen, folks. This lady can sing like a canary. If that's if that's what <laughs> she's unbelievable. So talk about Felicia. What a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful couple for sure. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Yes, she is. She is all that and so much more. We actually met over a game of Bible Pictionary <laughs> uh, over thirty years ago, and that's how we met. Um, there was a. A guy from a youth group, I believe, that was going into the military. I can't remember the branch, but the, the pastor's daughter was having a send-off for him over at her house. And a buddy of mine, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Brad Robinson, he and I went over there. And that's, that's actually where we met, over that game of, of Bible Pictionary. Like you said, she's a, she's a wonderful uh, musician, and she has passed that love for music. Uh, onto our children as well. And it's because of that that our house is always a house uh, that has music playing, music going. And it's, it's, it's been a happy house. It was a happy house for our kids to grow up in. You had a daughter that was, wasn't she Miss Georgia or runner up or something? Did I remember that right? <laughs> she was. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Our daughter Lindsay, she was, uh, she was fifth runner up for Miss Georgia a couple of years ago. And she has held many. Um, kind of subordinate titles like she was miss warner robbins and, and there were a number of other different um titles that she held as well i think she was miss columbus georgia at one point in time uh, but as far as for miss georgia yeah she 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 was fifth runner-up that's the highest she finished amazing amazingly intelligent talented young lady she's a classically trained opera singer so as you know in that in that competition you have to bring a talent to the table. Oh, yeah. With singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Folks, this, this family is incredible. If you can't tell yet, how many kids do you have? So, so Ryan's our oldest. And, um, and so again, he, he would be 33, uh, a day after this recording. And our daughter, Lindsay, she's 26 now. Uh, she's a graduate of Columbus State uh, University. She actually got her master's degree from there as well. And uh, she lives in the Macon, Georgia area. And then our youngest son, Nathan, he's he's 21, and he will be starting his junior year at uh, at Middle Georgia State University, and uh, and he will be finishing up up there. So so those are our three uh, children there. And I and if and if I could, I, I want to just I want to swing back to my wife and just say yes, that. absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, just I mean. You know, just the one of the things that I loved about her when I first met her 
is that um, I knew she would she would be a great friend, a great lifelong friend. I knew she would be a wonderful mother, and I knew I didn't want to go through life without her by my side. <laughs> I didn't want to do it back then, and I don't want to do it uh, today. Bruce, I want to say she's a leader too. And when I say leader, sometimes people say I'm a leader and it's based on their position or rank or something like that. She's a leader because she's a an influencer. She's a yeah. magnificent influencer. And so, um, and people follow her. Um, she balances me out, man. I mean, she, 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 there's nobody else on the planet that knows me like she does. Um, and she's very strong. Yeah. You know, when I think about what we went through, uh, with the loss of our son, I'm proud of her and and what she what she does with you know when you have that kind of pain that that's allowed to come into your life, if you don't learn how to manage that and how to take the painful and make it productive to the point where you actually use that plain pain as a catalyst to help other people through their pain, that pain will consume you. And she has learned to do that. She's a crime victim advocate for our um, district attorney here in Houston County. And I see her do that at work on a, on a daily basis. She's a wonderful cook. All you gotta do is look at my girth and you'll get <laughs> evidence for that. And I'll just say that she's one of the most thoughtful people uh, that I've ever met in my life, so. How blessed, how blessed you are. What an amazing couple. And I'm sure she keeps you straight. She says what she thinks, I guarantee that. <laughs> You don't have to wonder oh, what yeah. she's thinking, right? So no, absolutely not. So Joe, you, you mentioned leadership, and I know you have been a leader of people for many years, and that always touches a chord with me. But I know that right. you are connected with the John Maxwell leadership team, and you're speaking and teaching. A lot of people listening to this will know who John Maxwell is. But talk about leadership a little bit. Talk about some things that you've learned. Uh, You've hit on a couple of things, but I think people would like to hear that, your thoughts on leadership, period. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things I love being a part of the John Maxwell uh, certified team is that when you start talking about personal development and professional development, you know, I I did a Google search a couple of days ago. Just I think I put like uh, personal development in there. And I got like 2.8 billion hits in 0.74 seconds. And so there's a lot of information out there, but John Maxwell is uh, what many consider to be uh, the absolute guru when it comes to uh, personal and professional development. So I'm I'm very excited about being affiliated with his team. I love the fact that uh, John's written over a hundred books and a lot of them are New York Times bestsellers. Um, I'm actually gonna be doing a, a free lunch and learn uh, at the Vector Center, I talked about it earlier on Tuesday, and it's surrounded around the concepts taught in his book, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. So I'm looking forward to that. But one of the things that John talks about, and to answer your question, Bruce, is that it is, it's about influence, but it's also leadership is about service as well. And one of the things I learned at the Air Force Academy is that personal leadership is like the foundation that all other levels of leadership are built upon. Now, let me just explain what I mean by that. So the Academy used what's called the PITO model of leadership, P-I-T-O, where P stands for personal leadership, I stands for interpersonal leadership, T stands for team, and O stands for organizational. So what, what that means is that 
Uh, for instance, William Penn, he has a quote that says, no man is fit to command another that cannot command himself. So if you don't have personal integrity, how are you going to bring that to an interpersonal relationship? Right. And if you can't bring it to an interpersonal relationship, how are you going to bring integrity to a team? And if you can't bring it to a team, how are you going to bring it to an organization? And the whole, if you want to have an organization that's based on integrity, you got to start with it at the personal level first. And that's what I love about that Peter model of leadership. And that's what I love about John's emphasis on personal development and having that to be the foundation for development and leadership and growth in every other aspect of your life. But that's a real thing because I, I've seen it that people are very smart and manage people well, but there's a disconnect from their personal life. And, Absolutely. And, and you see it all the time. And, and you're right. Uh, you, you've got to have a basis uh, to you've got to be able to lead yourself to lead others and and people yep. see that when you don't that is for sure wow absolutely absolutely and i and i loved again like i said just the emphasis on you know applying these concepts and principles to your personal life because i mean you know we've all met people man that you know that have those titles those ranks and those positions but they can't lead themselves out of a wet paper bag and that's because they haven't applied them into their own personal lives as well. There's a lot of companies that ought to plug into you. There's a lot of people that could bring you in to help them. People are starving for, for that kind of information about how to be real leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Authentic leadership. So tell me this, Joe, what do you see? I mean, we live in a country that's so divided politically any way you can look at it. I've never seen it like it is. I can tell you that. I've been around 68 years, and I've never seen it like it is now. You know, um, Bruce, if, 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 if you know, and maybe sometime down the, down the road we can do this, but if I were to go back and talk to you about, like, my growth and development and, and like, getting into the academy, even way back in the 80s, there were people that came alongside to help me that did not look like me. And so, and so when, 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 when we do that, when we do that, when we look at each other um, and we see not the color of, of their skin externally, but maybe if they have a burning dream or a desire or a goal or something else other than the color of their skin, there's no limit to the good we can do when we do that. And that's what these gentlemen saw in me. Even when I was struggling to make it through the Air Force Academy with my grades, there was a guy that went into one of my academic review boards. He didn't look like me. Right. And he told them straight up, you need to figure out a way, because of this guy's leadership ability, you need to figure out a way to help him succeed here. And he was talking to people that were a couple of ranks higher than him too. And so my whole point in bringing up those couple of examples is I think that, you know, that lack of, of genuine, authentic connection that, that comes from listening to each other learning each other and acknowledging the fact that our success is based on our interdependence. We have to depend on each other. I yeah. think that's one of the things that um, that we're missing in this in this country. And you say, well, you know, how do we how do we how do we overcome that? And I think that again, I'm gonna reflect back on something I said earlier. I think when every single one of us realize that we're not perfect when it comes to this, we all have our prejudices. 
we all have those things about us that that are in the land i like to call it in the land of the not quite right let's just acknowledge that let's own it and let's commit to a a journey of personal growth and personal discovery and i think you know when we learn the truth about each other and what we all can offer and what we can bring to the table you know, the Bible says, and you shall know the truth, yep. and the truth shall set you free. Yep. The, the truth always exists, but if you don't know it, then it, it won't set us free from our prejudices from the past and, and our ignorance of the value that each and every single person possesses. We're all made in the image of God. Right. And so there's there's something unique and valuable about each person. I, I'm going to share with you real quick, Bruce, along these lines, a couple of examples that I've seen in our culture where we're we're starting to actually get better at this. I don't know if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures yet, but it's it's a, it's a movie that talks about the intelligence of three African-American women and their deep knowledge of computers and mathematics and the role that those three African-American women played in helping us to launch John Glenn into orbit and compete in the space race. Oh, yeah, I read about her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, yeah. And so brilliant, it's, it's, brilliant, yeah. But it's a it's a wonderful example, and and those kind of things are things that we can't keep hidden as a culture because if you keep them hidden as a culture, you don't have the background and the knowledge that when you see an African American woman to to realize that hey, you know, there's nothing that keeps them from being brilliant. They are brilliant. They All are right. talented. They have something of value to bring to the table, and a movie like that helps to showcase that. And there's one other. It's called um, Something the Lord Made. And it's about an African-American man by the name of Vivian Thomas. And it talks about in the 30s, the role that this, now get this, this lab assistant played to literally help invent cardiac surgery. <laughs> the role that this African-American lab assistant played in helping to invent cardiac surgery. Those are the types of things when you start looking at the contributions that people have made in this country, we cannot continue to overshadow those just because of the, the color of a person's skin. Because what it does is it gives you a, a skewed impression about uh -huh. the value and the importance uh, that that culture can bring to our country. So I think that those are just ways that we can we can we can expand our knowledge of that truth and the knowledge of that truth is what sets us free. And, and when you know, and you have that knowledge, think of all the people out here that have that kind of brilliance that hasn't been uncovered, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, absolutely. that's the, that's the thing. But we're also politically divided and I'm, we're not going to get in a political discussion, but I, I do know that that same principle applies that if, if we, I work for a wonderful company and I was in on a lot of meetings, and there was a lot of people that disagreed on whatever path we were taking, but we didn't ever get where everybody was hating each other. You came to a consensus, and you made a decision what was best for the company, and you moved on. <laughs> but in our, right, right. It, but we were so divided politically that uh, we, we become like stalemate. I mean, you can't get anything done. It, it's static. And so that's also that same principle is true there, I think. Absolutely. And I, and I think just, you know, when it comes to that, I think, uh, and again, like you said, we're not going to get into politics, but when it comes to leadership and, and politics is a form of leadership, we all have to realize that I think that servant leadership, realizing that you are, regardless of your political position, you are a servant of the people. 
you were hired by the people to do the service uh, for the people and just keeping that servant leadership mentality of realizing that hey i'm not here so that you can serve me as the elected leader i'm actually here so that i can serve you and to do the greatest amount of good while i'm in that you position. remember when when jesus was on the tirade and and talking about the hypocrites and the people that are trying to be up front and seen by any everybody and he said the greatest among you will be your servant absolutely and that is that is so very true joe what is your what do you consider as your greatest accomplishment you're retired you're kind of looking back you're still busy you're doing great things but what is your greatest accomplishment i love this question bruce it, it's it's a very it's a very challenging question because you you know you you, you know you don't want to you don't necessarily want to concede that your best years are behind you um but i will say that the, that the thing that uh, i think that has really helped to revolutionize my life and put it on the path that it's on it's it's been surrendering to god yeah. and continuously asking him to reinvent me during various phases of my life now now let's listen to what i'm talking about i started off as a personnel specialist they became an aviator then worked in an engineering research center, then became an educator. Now I'm an entrepreneur consultant. So all of those things, God has continuously reinvented me and I've just surrendered to him. I, I've just, I always like to say, man, my greatest ability is availability. I've just surrendered myself to God as this lump of clay and just asked him to reinvent me according to his purpose and his will for my life. There's a there's a story that's told and the dollar figures might be off a little bit, but I'm sure you've heard of it. Where if you take a, a $5 piece of metal, you know, it's worth $5. Uh -huh. But if you take that same hunk of metal and you make horseshoes out of it, now it's worth $12. <laughs> you take that same piece of metal and if you make needles out of it, it's now worth $3,500. And if you make balance springs for watches, <laughs> That $5 piece of metal is now worth $300,000. It's the same raw material, but it's how you transform it and how you reinvent it. And I believe that that's what God has done in my life. And I think that the, the continuous ability to yield and surrender to him, to make me what it is he wants me to be for whatever season I'm in, I think that's my greatest accomplishment. I think that we all have to answer that question. Do we believe our life is about us? Or is it about God yeah. and, and what he does through us for his purposes? And uh, I, I think that's a fundamental question that, that we all have to answer in this life. And the only thing that makes sense is what you just said, that God is big enough to orchestrate our lives and to have a purpose for you. And you certainly not done. <laughs> that is a fact. Absolutely. And he's, as long as you're breathing, uh, he's still working. Yeah, well, what about your greatest regret? I would say up until this point, and I talked with my wife about this, I, I had never really given entrepreneurship an honest try. You know, I kind of poked around at it. I had a couple of uh, 501c3 nonprofit organizations, but didn't really have the time to dedicate to them. And so they kind of went to fun. And so I think now that my greatest regret is something I'm trying to do something about. And that's not really giving... Uh, given um, being an entrepreneur, uh, a, a good, honest try. And so that's one of the things I'm, I'm looking to do 
uh, right now as a consultant is to, 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 to give that my all and see where God takes it. So that, that's the greatest revet, regret. Fortunately, I'm, I'm, You're I'm working in a position where I'm trying to do something about no it. No telling. Yeah. No telling what's going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. No telling. I can't wait to see. So yes, sir. Th- there are people listening to this that have to be inspired by your story. And what is your message to people that's trying to, uh, trying to just to figure out how to find success in life and trying to go through here and figure out what to do? What, what is your message to them? I would say, Bruce, that as, I, as I've gone through the different iterations of my life, I know what it's like uh, to be successful by a definition of the world's view of success. I know what it's like to make a lot of money, to make more money than, uh, you know, than, than, than you can, you know, spend. I, I know what that's like, um, but I come to the conclusion that success is not measured in dollars and cents. I can tell you that emphatically, but it's measured in significance. It's measured in how many lives are better because you live and what have you done with love and with all the manifestations of love. And let me, let me just explain what I mean by that. I think that um, enhancing other people's lives and making them better, I think that's the thing that I've gotten the greatest joy out of. And I think that, you know, love, love manifests itself in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. For instance, mercy is one of the manifestations of love. You know, withholding from other people the penalty that their actions deserve. I think grace is a manifestation of love, unmerited favor for those who don't deserve it. And so I think that um being used by God to enhance the lives of others and what do you do I think oftentimes when I stand before God the ultimate question he will ask me is what did you do with love <laughs> how did you handle love while wow. you were on the earth and wow. all of its manifestations and kindness and support and encouragement I think that's where real success is found and that's pretty simple isn't it it it's, is it's not complicated theology it's simple nope it's simple, and it's decisions we make every day. So, yep. so Joe, I have a feeling, and I hope, and when I started doing these podcasts, I know that my kids or grandkids or great-grandkids that are not born yet will listen to all these conversations I'm having one day, and not only will they learn about the people that I knew, that, that I met, that I interviewed on here, uh, but also they'll learn about me by right, who I'm right. talking to, but I also know that your kids or grandkids or great-grandkids that are not born yet, one day will listen to this after we're all dead and gone. Once we get this out there, it's here. It's going to be out there streaming. And what is your message to them? If you just had to give a message, uh, I know you're listening to my voice. I know I'm not here now, but what, what do you want to tell them? I would say that um, he, he lived in the spirit now, this is going to sound a little odd, but of the little drummer boy. Um, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite Christmas songs is the little drummer boy. And I think one of the reasons, Bruce, why uh, that that song just speaks so deeply to me, because as a young kid coming out of the projects of Chicago, I just really didn't know what gift that I had um, to give to this world or to give to God. And, um, and I believe that, that, that when I say that my greatest ability is availability, I'm speaking from the bottom of my heart. I just made myself available to God 
And I said, whatever it is you want to do through me so that your divine purpose for the universe unfolds through me, I surrender to you to do that through me. Wow. I want to play my drum for you because that's all I can bring to you is this little drum of a life that you've given me. And I would want uh, my family years from now to know that he played that drum the best he could for God and that he loved his family fiercely. Wow. That, that's what I would hope that they would remember about me. Tree Undertaker